1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because of our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here ends the New Testament reading. Please do take a seat. And it's the start of the Easter holidays. So there's much excitement in my household, not least because there's some really good films that, the, that are out that the kids want to see. Well, actually, let's be honest, that I want to see. Um, so as a quick holiday special this morning, this afternoon even, why don't you uh, turn to your neighbor, and um, if you don't know them very well, just introduce yourself to them, say hello, and then share with them, what is your favorite film? Go. Okay, folks, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going have to have to break in there. I'm sorry, that's, that's actually the kind, of question, that's the kind of question that can run and run and run, um, and we could probably talk about it all afternoon. Um, uh, but we just need to go around, and we'll just go around and take feedback from every. No, 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 we're not going to do that. We haven't got time for that either, I'm afraid. Um, uh, but we all love a good film, don't we? I think, I think we all love a good film. I certainly do. There's something immensely enjoyable about just losing yourself in another world for a while. As most of the films that we uh, tend to watch are an escape from reality, the film is a pretend world, and so there is a willing uh, suspension of belief while we're there. We know that ordinary life doesn't have a happy ending, or a cast with perfect hair and teeth, um, or an intergalactic imperial empire building a planet-destroying space station. But we live in that pretend world for a while, and then when the film ends, we re-enter our ordinary, everyday lives. And although I always um, want to drive my car a little bit faster if I've been at the cinema watching a James Bond film, the fact that I'm driving a Volkswagen Polo and not an Aston Martin DB5 reminds me that there is a gap between what I have watched on the screen and where I live my life. I think a lot of the time we're tempted to read the Bible in that kind of way. We're tempted to put a gap between the pages of the New Testament and our lives, treating it like a pretend world, an imaginary world that we enter 
for a time on Sundays or during midweek groups or maybe in the mornings when we're reading the Bible ourselves. But then we step back out of it again, back into the real world where we live the rest of our lives. But when we do that, we're forgetting that a letter like this to the Thessalonians, which we're starting a new series in uh, today, by the way, it's a real letter. It's not a theological treatise. It's not a work of fiction. I mean, just have a look there at the first verses of the letter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And that was just the normal start to a letter back in those days. It was the first century Christian equivalent of, Dear Pete, how are you? Or however it is that you start your letters. If you write letters anymore, that is. I mean, for some of you, uh, you might prefer the more electronic method, you text or you Facebook. Um, I'm not really quite sure what kind of emoji for grace to you and peace is, but you can figure that out for yourself. But even though this letter may have been written 2,000 years ago, in a quite different culture, it was written to real people in a real place and a real time, about 51 to 52 AD in first century Greece, to be precise. Now, Paul visited the Thessalonians when he and his mission team were on a preaching tour. You can read about that in the book of Acts, Acts 17. And they had met an encouraging response at first. Quite a number of people became Christians. But then they found themselves as popular as Nigel Farage at European Union's drinks party. It was no party as religious folks rounded up a mob, started a riot, and they hounded Paul and his mates out of town. And after such a brief and exciting stay, Paul's heart yearned to find out what happened to those baby Christians. How were they getting on? Had their faith been genuine? Were they still going on with Christ, standing for him in a world that stands against him? Well, yes, they were. (laughs) Because Paul has received an encouraging report from Timothy, and his heart is filled with relief and joy when he gets word of this. And so he writes this letter to affirm them in their faith and encourage them to keep going on. So it'd be great if you could grab a Bible and look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you haven't already done so. And as uh, uh, we dive into um, this first chapter of this letter, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this letter written in the real world to real people just like us, facing just what we face. And we thank you that it is a living word from you. So we ask that you would use it to build us up, to be model believers, for others to imitate, just like you use the Thessalonians. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you this afternoon two things that Paul gives thanks for in the lives of the Thessalonians. Two things to encourage them. And therefore, two things that we can be thankful for and can encourage us if we see them in our lives as well. Here's the first. Paul sees in them genuine transformation. Their lives have been changed. Have a look at verses 2 and 3, will you? We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love 
and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays giving thanks to God for what he's done in the Thessalonians' lives by bringing them to Christ. God has transformed these people into, into people of faith and love and hope. These are the three characteristics that should mark every Christian. I don't know if you've ever experienced the joys of a trip to Blackpool. I mean, if you've not, then you should put it on your bucket list. I mean, you should go at some point or, 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 or another b- before you die. But if you do end up in Blackpool and you want to ruin your teeth, you'll buy a stick of rock, great seaside tree. And wherever you break into the stick of rock, you'll see those letters, Blackpool, all the way through that rock. Well, it's like that, that with these, th- these distinctive marks of faith and hope and love. Wherever you break into a Christian's life, you should find them in action. And when you find them, you will always see that each of these qualities forces our focus off ourselves to bigger concerns. As Christianity directs me away from myself in faith to a God who is relevant to every moment of my life. It directs me away from my selfish needs and concerns towards other people in love. Their needs, their concerns, their interests should come first. And it directs me away from my present reality towards a future that is always in God's hands. But notice also that each of these qualities is productive too. They bear fruit, don't they? Faith works. Love labors. Hope is steadfast. It it keeps going no matter how hard it becomes. Do you see, what you believe always affects, always impacts how you live. So let's just imagine for a minute that um, uh, Tim Goodship, our senior steward for the afternoon there at the back, he rushes in, he tells us there's a fire downstairs in the building. We'd react to that, wouldn't we? You know, I'm, I'm sure we wouldn't just shrug our shoulders and go, oh, uh, come on, Tim, we're in the middle of something here. You know, we're, we're, we're holding a service. I mean, Ken Matthews is speaking to us. And when Ken Matthews speaks, I hang on every word he says. <laughs> that is very hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> no, if we believe Tim's message, then we'd react, wouldn't we? We'd be, someone, we'd be grabbing children, grabbing our bags, any possessions we have, and, and making a run for it. You know, maybe panicking, tripping up over our feet as we go, but we'd, we'd react. Some of the braver ones of us might even go looking for a fire extinguisher and, you know, to try and tackle a blaze. Oh, we've spent all this money on this building. It's not going up in smoke. There'd be a response. And if we believe the message of the gospel, the great good news that Jesus is God and died for us to bring us into a living relationship with himself for all eternity, then that inevitably will be seen in how we live. So if we have faith in Christ, that will mean that we will trust him not just to forgive our sins and get us to heaven when we die, but to take charge of our lives here and now while we live. We will say, Jesus is my savior and my Lord. Who else should I live for? Some people, when they find out how much money the refurbishment of this building and, and, and getting a new church started here at St. Joseph's cost, they ask me, so 
where did the money come from? Did you get lottery funding? Did you get some grants? And they're staggered when I tell us, well, it all just came from the congregation, from our pockets and our bank accounts. That kind of generous sacrificial giving is a work of faith. It shows trust that God is going to do something amazing through that money given. And I guess for those of you who've signed up for our support team, for our new Christians Against Poverty debt center, or who uh, work every week in our children's and youth work, uh, which we still need more people for, uh, both if you're interested, by the way, or you're involved in other ministries which are available uh, here at St. Joseph's and across our partner church in Jesmond. All those hours spent preparing, praying, planning, and then pitching up to actually serve people in Jesus' name are a labor of love, are they not? And we give of our money and our time in all kinds of ways, and we keep on doing so for the rest of our lives till we die because we live in hope. Steadfastness of hope is an ongoing theme in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, which is why we've entitled this series, Waiting for Jesus. But it's my guess that the present is often a bit too comfortable for us. It's a bit too enjoyable. So we hardly need any future hope to make the present more bearable. But then, when our present circumstances do become less bearable, even unbearable for one reason or another, we find we have too little in our Christian experience to help us to keep going. Well, that wasn't the case for the Thessalonians. Their future hope had made them steadfastness, which in the original Greek here, the word for steadfastness means the spirit which bears all things. Not through gritted teeth, with resignation, but with a fierce certainty. It is the determination of a winning boat race crew. I don't know if any of you saw the boat race, uh, the Oxford-Cambridge boat race last weekend, um, or have ever watched it for that matter, but I have married into a keen rowing family from Cambridge, no less. And so I've watched it for the last 18 years or so, and a few other times before. And I've noticed that most races are over within the first five minutes. As once the teams go under Hammersmith Bridge, which is barely third of the way through the course, it's pretty obvious who's going to win. Yet interestingly, at that point, none of the crews, neither of the crews give up. They don't just throw in their, their, their oars. Even though one crew is a full boat length ahead, and, it's, and it seems to us, well, and they, and they know that it's, it's highly unlikely that it's going to change through the rest of the race. They keep on rowing through the pain barrier, and they row right the way to the finish. But there is all the difference between, there's all the difference in the world between the perseverance of the leading crew who know they're going to win and the perseverance of the trailing crew, who are pretty certain they're going to lose. It's grueling hard work to keep on rowing, but the leading crew do so with bright hope in their hearts because they know the end result already. 
And in the same way, the Christian looks forward to the future in certain hope. And what we see there keeps us going through the hard times. As Christ's death and resurrection from the grave assure us that Jesus is going to come back one day in the future. And when he does, we will live with him and share in his glory forever. And so we persevere with great hope in our heart. Under great stress, we go on believing because we know where it is all leading eventually. So, three qualities to mark our Christian, our lives as Christians. Our work of faith, our labor of love, our steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see them at work in your lives? I hope you do. Well, that's not all that Paul saw that was significant about these Thessalonian Christians. Secondly, he saw at work in their lives, spiritual power. Look at verse 4, will you? Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What has God done? He has set his love upon them. He's picked them out as his children. He's brought them home to be with him. And we know that it's God who's pulling all the strings here because verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, i.e. truth that makes sense, but also in power that opens hearts and minds to the truth. The Holy Spirit who illuminates those hearts and minds to the truth. And with full conviction, for the gospel had really taken root in the lives of those who proclaimed it. So it's not that Paul and his mission team were just, you know, they had some success because they were absolutely brilliant at explaining the good news of Jesus. Rather, it's God who has come and done a work of power through them. Now you might say, well, that's all very nice for the Thessalonians. But I don't remember God doing a work of power in me. There was no blinding light, no amazing revolution, no incredible epiphany. Well, let's just look at that, what that work of power was like. Chapter 1, verse 6. Let's read on. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See what's going on there? It's a miracle, folks. It's an absolute miracle. The Thessalonians were worshipping idols. In other words, they were worshipping anything that isn't God. For them, or at least many of them, it may actually literally have been blocks of wood and iron. But those idols represented the same things that are idols in our lives too these days. The idols of sex and money and status and family. They had made good things into God things, worshipping his gifts rather than the God who gives them. 
Their backs were turned to him, hardened to him. Their eyes didn't recognize him. Their ears were plugged to him. But now, they had turned. And that can only be a work of God by his spirit. Paul, in his letter to, to, to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. <laughs> I mean, how can you not see light? How can you not see that idols are just a lump of wood? They, they, they don't satisfy. You must be blind not to see that living without God is, is sheer folly. But spiritually blind we are unless God takes the scales from our eyes and by the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to see Him. When God is at work, something supernaturally powerful happens through the speaker and in the listeners as the Holy Spirit does His work. Maybe you've had that experience of listening to a sermon or a talk or, or maybe even reading the Bible for yourself and thinking, man, this could be written just for me. And maybe more than that, you've not only been able to hear who Jesus is and, and understand what he's done for you intellectually, but you've actually turned from living, putting anything but him at the center of your life to saying, you are my Lord and my God. Anyone who's able to say, Jesus Christ died for me and is Lord of my life has obviously had the gospel come to them. Verse five, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So Apostle Paul reassures the Thessalonian believers that they are loved. They've been chosen by the true and living God. So don't worry if it doesn't feel right all the time, he says. Or if it's hard going at times. Or if folks respond badly to what you're doing when you seek to live for Christ, keep on serving. Keep on waiting for Jesus. Because God has done a work of power in you, in turning you back to him. So, a couple of applications, and then we're done. For one thing, thank God for faith. The faith he's given you, the faith he's given others. When someone says to me, oh, have you heard? So-and-so has become a Christian. I've noticed that I don't often appreciate the enormity of that piece of news. Often because I'm focused on all the people who haven't yet become Christians. And I'm discouraged about whether God really is at work. Well, Paul's example here is focus on the response, not the non-response. He's focusing on the Thessalonians who have become Christians rather than those who are trying to stir up opposition. Quite often, if you haven't seen response for a while in your own patch with your own friends or family for a while, maybe even a, a long, long while, you get discouraged and worn down. And then, in fact, especially then, you need to take encouragement from the responses amongst other people's friends and family, or from the testimonies of individuals who tell us how they've come to faith. They're so, so encouraging, aren't they, when we hear them in church? Those testimonies remind us that God is at work, even if in our patch, we can't see currently what he's doing. So focus on what God is doing rather than getting discouraged about what he isn't. And thank God for faith. 
And then the other application is to trust God for faith. In my last year at Glasgow University, I organized a Christmas event for a Christian union group in a university halls of residence uh, so that the uh, Christian union members there could introduce their friends to Jesus. And it started really well. We got a really good crowd of people uh, come along to eat the mince pies and drink the spiced apple juice and, and then sing the carols. Uh, but it all went downhill pretty rapidly from there. Uh, the lad who we'd got to play the music was dreadful. His Casio keyboard seemed to be set on a funeral parlor setting. And then the girl who we got to, re- to sing a solo, she, she, she didn't sing with the voice of an angel. She sang more with the voice of a demon. And my mate's testimony left people with tears in their eyes for totally the wrong reasons. As he just went off on one and started talking for 20, 25 minutes the tension in the room became unbearable. So I stood up to give my carefully prepared talk at the end of this and realized I just couldn't speak for much longer and tried to kind of um, uh, cut it down a little bit, but just waffled inanely. And at the end, the Christian Union leader left the room in floods of tears. She rushed up to a room where there was a gang of Christian Union members praying fervently for the event downstairs. Their eyes, when she, yes, Their eyes lifted expectantly as she burst through the door. But she entered, shuddering with sobs. I was hot on her heels. Nobody dared ask. Finally, a brave soul piped up. So, how did it go? Before she could answer, there was a knock on the door. A member of the Christian Union group was there with another girl. This is Kate. She'd like to become a Christian. Before we could say anything, there was another knock on the door. Another member of the Christian Union. This is Jenny. She'd like to become a Christian. Our gospel came to them, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. God can use even our feeblest of efforts to do incredible things when we step out in faith and we trust him. So if we're a Christian, we're not to think it all rests with us, our presentation skills, our personalities, our incredible lives. We're not to be tempted to change the message also and make it more palatable for people, water it down. And neither should we get blasé about praying for our friends and to keep on praying even when we don't see results. God is at work in his own time and his own way. And if we're not yet a Christian, then we're not to get discouraged that we don't have enough faith to believe. We don't look like some of the other Christians we see around us. And we're not to think that we can just merely reason it all out, as if it's all just, everything in life is all rational. God will give you the eyes of faith to see, so you can believe by his Spirit. And he will give you everything you need to keep on believing for the rest of your lives. Let me pray that through for us now. Let's pray. I wonder what struck you there from 1 Thessalonians 1. A truth to remember, a sin to confess, a challenge to respond to. Let's take a moment to respond to God's word in private prayer.
Our Father God, we thank you for the great miracle of having our hearts turn from worthless idols to you, the true and living God. Please help us to live out those distinctive qualities of faith, love, and hope, which show that we are truly yours. And we pray that we would give thanks to you and trust you for the work that you want to do in others' lives. And we ask that you would help any here who are not yours to come to understand the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.